uh, Abu Bakr and Omar and Sayyidina Ali and Sayyidina Uthman and like these people, they continued this tradition of visiting her home, you know. Um, and, and the Prophet as a leader who creates a communal habit of looking after the most vulnerable, like elderly women. And they went to her and they found her upset and they asked her, you know, like, why are you crying? Don't you know that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is better than what was in this world? And she said, no, no, I'm not like, I'm not crying because the Prophet has passed away, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, but I miss wahi. Like, I miss revelation coming. Like, I miss things happening in my life and there being like, you know, this sudden burst of religious guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Quran. That's why one of the Sahaba in his 90s in, in Iraq, he was one of the last Sahabi to live. His student came to him and he said to his student, Khatamtu al-yawm khatamtu al-Qur'an. He said, like, today I completed the Qur'an. And his student was like, what? Like, dude, you're like Sahabi, man. You should, like, finish the Qur'an. Like, as soon as you became Muslim, you should have, like, busted out the Qur'an. So he said, no, no, no. And khatamtuhu bil af'al. Like, I finished it with my actions, not with, like, what I read, like, what I memorized. So then he mentioned the verse, irji'u, in, in Surah Al-Nur, where Allah says, if you knock on someone's door and they don't answer, go back. And he said, like, today, finally, I knocked on someone's door and they didn't answer, alhamdulillah. So I was able to complete, like, this last act of living the Qur'an. We have a great responsibility. You know, I wrote it today on Twitter. You are the front line of tafsir, and we saw, unfortunately, what happened today uh, in our city, um, in Manhattan, um, I believe in the Lower East Side, you know, somebody yelling Allahu Akbar, having the name Sayfullah, um, and killing people. It's very difficult as a community to kind of counteract um, these very irresponsible, heterodoxical, if you will, acts. The process was, In Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet said, you know, I warn you of seven major sins. One of them is killing people. Uh, another narration, which is an authentic narration, related by Imam al-Maqtisi in his famous book of Mughni, that the Prophet said, whoever moves to a land and gains the trust of the people of that land, only to harm them or to kill them, فَقَدْ مَاتْ مَاتْ وَسَلَمْ He said, فَقَدْ مَاتْ يعني The person died as a hypocrite. So in the face of like also these kind of very powerful um, threatening images of Islam, you know, it's important for us to realize that each and every one of us at our jobs, in our homes, um, on the train, we are the first tafsir of Qur'an to people. Right? The first, you know, kind of on the front lines, if you will, I hate to use that metaphor, but like really... I know as a convert, like within my family, the way that they always refute like nonsense is like, well, that's not how Will acts, right? It's me. That's not how he acts. He's an Iman. He don't act that way. I'm sure Renda, you know, has Hindu friends, maybe. If they say something crazy about Muslims, you can be like, dude, I work like these really nice people, except for like two. We're not going to name them. But like in general, you know, like I'm, I work with people that are very kind, I would hope. 
you know, and are not like what you see. So there's a very powerful uh, light in living a Quranic life. That's why Iqbal, for our Daisy brothers and sisters, mashallah, uh, he's a great poet, and he has this very powerful poem where he says that, you know, if, if the Muslim really were to live a Quranic life, um, people around them would just look at them and say, Like their neighbors, their friends, people who know them, the only thing that they could say is like, which of the favors of Allah do you deny? This person brings so much khair uh, to me. Uh, and this is highlighted by something that happened to a friend of mine. I don't know if I told you the story about 7-7 in England, where a good friend of mine, after the bombing in East London, which is predominantly a Bengali community town like Astoria, um, his non-Muslim neighbor asked him for a copy of the Qur'an. He lived in this neighborhood his whole life, and he had seen the neighborhood change you know, into becoming a predominantly Bengali neighborhood. And after he finished reading the Qur'an, they had like the party for him, like the Yasin party, where they had like gulab jamun and stuff. And then he said, like, as I was serving him, he said to me, like, where's the second book, man? And he said, like, what do you mean? He's like, no, there's got to be another book. He's like, no, this is the only book we have. He's like, but the people in this neighborhood, they don't read this book. Like, their lives don't fit, like, what's in this book. So that's why we say the first tafsir of the Qur'an is the normal Muslim person. It's like, just live in your daily life. You know, like, never underestimate, you know, just being nice to people and being honest, being upright. That has a big impact, alhamdulillah. So that in mind, it's good to reflect on the Qur'an and we arrived uh, at the verse where Allah says, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ mustaqim." But before that we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُودُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ And we talked a little bit about this verse, but just a few things. Ibadah, uh, Imam Ar-Razi said, true ibadah is to do something, the highest level of ibadah is to do something that you cannot logically explain for Allah. So for example, like when I converted, I was like, do you guys start in sujood? He's like, what do you mean? It's like, it seems like you should start your prayer like in, like in sujood. Like that makes sense. He's like, no, we start standing, this cha-cha sahib named Dr. Riyas from Karachi. And then I said, uh, from Lahore actually, and I said to him like, man, why don't you start in sujood? He's like, I have no idea. I just do it because Allah ordered me to start standing. So Imam Ar-Razi said like, that's the height of worship is to suspend just for that moment your ego. My mother, God bless her, she used to say like, why don't you just move Juma to Sunday, dude? Like, we can all be together. You know, like, it'd be so awesome. Right? I was like, yeah, it would be. You know what I'm saying? I got class on Fridays. But we're ordered to do it on Juma. So there are certain aspects of our worship which for a moment we suspend our intellect to a certain degree. And those, and you need to remember this, those are the only acts of worship that need niyyah, that need intention. So that's why, for example, the Hanafis, they say there's no need for niyyah in zakat. Why? Like you can logically find a reason for zakat, is to benefit like people, is to deal with development, sustainability, poverty, right? But why do you wash your face first and wudu? Ah, uh, no, I have a freaking idea why I do that. 
makes no sense. So Imam al-Ghazali says something in a post-enlightenment world that's very powerful. Islam positions itself intellectually in a very unique place, but we have idiots going around killing people, right, in the name of our religion, uh, mistreating people in the name of our religion, abusing people in the name of our religion, misrepresenting our religion. It's very hard sometimes to position the powerful kind of um, development intellectually of Islam through history. Al-Ghazali says Islam is the only religion that brings together absolute submission with also the use of the intellect. It's like there's acts where, like, I don't know. Like, why do I fast at daytime? I remember when I first converted, I was like, yo, can we fast at night? <laughs> I'll fast good at night, dude. Like, I will hold it, I'll hold it down at night if you ask me to fast, right? That logically makes sense. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you have to fast in the daytime. But then there are other aspects of Islam that require the use of the intellect throughout, right? For example, marriage, right? Other things, zakah, you have to use the intellect, how to calculate your money, right? And those type of acts. So he said, subhanAllah, Islam yajma'a bayna ithneen. Like Islam brought together both. And that's why the Muslim is the one, yusallim aqlahu, yusallim aqlaha lillah. And that one moment, it's like, you know what, I just suspended for Allah. But then at the same time, because that could lead to people being uh, mistreated by religious leadership, there are aspects of Islam where I, I'm not asked to do that. We'll talk about that in Surah Fiqh. So when we say, that implies both. Those acts that I have to make intention for, that I may not logically be able, what are called غير معقولات. Scholars call them غير معقول. In Masri, say, مش Right? Something that doesn't make sense necessarily. Except it's tawfiqiyah. Allah ordered me to do it. And, and sometimes we make mistakes like hijab. People say hijab is because you know you have to you know, protect these men from themselves. No one said that. That's not, that's a problem. Like, so you're blaming me because the dude can't control himself. Right? But you find sometimes people try to negotiate what's called the illah. The reasoning behind the act of worship where there may be no reasoning. It's just... Allah ordered me. What I wear like white. I remember the first time I met Hajj, man. I was 24 years old. I was trying to like press it. I was like, I'm going to make this thing look clean, boy. You know, the ihram. I was like, wait a minute. I'm in ihram. Like, what's the style in ihram, right? Why am I wearing this? Allah ordered me to wear this. There's that component. And, and, and in that area, it's allowed for scholars to differ on the reasons. Like the philosophy of why. Right? So... We should tell people that because sometimes people read things and they don't know, they think that's like, this is the real reason. Let the scholars differ. Then there's other acts of worship where Allah mentioned the reason, or the Prophet mentioned the reason for that, nobody argues. For example, Allah mentions that salah should keep us from evil. Establish salah to remember me. So it's very clear why we pray. Salah helps us in our obedience to Allah. When the Prophet said, you know, five prayers in the day is like taking a bath five times with a lot of lotion, right? <laughs> That's the dhikr, the lotion, right? It's going to clean your heart and keep you poor, uh, uh, pure. Then there's those other aspects of worship, like we said, where we can understand clearly like why we do it, like, like zakah. That's why even the Hanafis say wudu doesn't need niyyah. Why? Because the argument is that wudu was, is what? Is a means of being pure. Some of them said even to stay cool, right? If you live in the desert, wudu is like, yeah, it's time to make wudu. Because it cools you off. 
point is that we say it implies those acts where we leave it like Allah ordered me to do it and those order those aspects of worship like where I can understand there's benefit in it and if someone in the first we're ordered to, we, we have to have niyat in the manamalu biniyat those acts right but in the second that's the issue of tasawwuf is having the niyyah in things that don't need niyyah. And that's marhalat al-ihsan. That's to worship Allah as though you don't see Him, even though you can't see Him, you know what? That He sees you. And we'll talk about that in our next, next semester we do purification of the heart. So when we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ That means, غَيْرُ مَعْقُولَاتِ الْمَعْقُولَاتِ Those acts of worship which I'm, necessarily, I'm not necessarily able to under, explain everything. It's okay sometimes to say to people like, God ordered me to do this. That's my belief. And then those aspects where I'm able to generate, you know, an answer uh, logically or uh, from the point of reason. The scholar said that. So we say that um, worship involves three things. Number one is the worship of attitude and cognition. How to understand things. The second is the worship of the heart. And then the third is the worship of my limbs. فَإِبَادَةُ الْفِكْرِ إِبَادَةُ الْقَلْبِ إِبَادَةُ الْأَعْضَةِ So when I say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ Right? That means like, you alone, I'm trying my best to worship in these three areas. And that takes us to another point about worship. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not asking us to be perfect. Like this is a mistake people make a lot. Like He's asking us to try. We, we, we have to remember that Islam is built on redemption. It's built on obedience and responsibility and redemption. That redemptive quality. It's one of the things I worry about America now. Like politically, where's the redemption for people? Like... People are really, like, I feel like it's, like, it's like when I heard my parents talk about the times in Vietnam. Like, I really feel like it's so just divided right now. But no one's really bringing in the idea of, like, yeah, responsibility, owning up to certain mistakes has to happen. But then the outcome, perhaps, is redemption. Like, forgiveness. Like, coming back to Allah. Coming back to society. Allah says in the Quran, فَاسْتَقِيمُوا إِلَيْهِ وَاسْتَغْفِرُوا Allah says in Shota Fusilat, like, try your best. Like, yo, go for it. And at the same time, seek forgiveness. Translation, you lose something. It says, like, be upright and seek forgiveness. But this is called Wawal Had, which means at that moment. So at the moment you're trying to, like, hold it down and be like a great super Muslim, make istighfar. Why? Because none of us can be perfect on our istita'ah and our ta'atullah. Each and every one of us will have mistakes. So that's why Allah says to Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, to teach us as an example because he's sinless. At the end of Nubuwa, like after everything happened, like we won, dude. Like we got Mecca. Everything's good. People become a Muslim. We got Bilal, Suhaib, we got, you know, Fatima, this lady, that. Why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell him to do that? Is to show like us as his followers, like. Not ask you to be perfect. You're gonna make mistakes. What's the first thing you say after prayer? Like, oh, I'm so glad I got it done, dude. 
Like, what's the first thing we say when we finish praying? Why would you say that? You just did a good deed. To remind you, like, you know what? Like, you have shortcomings. So, like, don't, don't get down on yourself. Like, just make istighfar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah will forgive you. This is one of the biggest challenges I see with people. is like, they're always either irresponsibly too, too, too loose, or like, or, or like counterproductively too harsh. But Allah says, وَخُلَقَ الْإِنسَانُ ضَعِيفًا we made you weak. يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ أَن يُخَفِّفْ عَنْكُمْ Allah wants to remove this burden from you. Allah describes Sayyidina Muhammad, وَيَضُ عَنْهُمْ إِسْرَهُمْ وَالْأَغْلَالَ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَيْهِمْ That the Prophet removed the shackles from them, meaning the shackles that make things overly harsh on themselves. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. It becomes counterproductive. I talked to parents about this a lot. I said, you know, when you think about generational spirituality and the historical track record that your child has with worship, is it one of abuse or one of motivation? And they're like, you know what? I'm really worried now. Because like the way that I taught them was like, pray or die. You know, and then even if they pray, like your prayer wasn't accepted. You're going to hell. Your prayer wasn't good enough. Whereas prayer is a transformative moment. Right? Every time you say Allahu Akbar, it's called istiftah. Because istiftah means you achieved a victory. So you achieved a victory. That's a moment of empowerment. That's fat. That's why one of our teachers said, when you say Allahu Akbar, and you say dua al-istiftah. The dua of opening, because at that moment, you've opened a door of transformative energy. The opportunity to get better is there. SubhanAllah. Yes. So I had a question, I guess, with respect to why people end up in those situations of being either irrationally lenient, perhaps, or harsh excessively, and it's sometimes rooted in this illiteracy of the text. But I'm, I'm wondering, for the person who doesn't have access to traditional Islamic scholarship that's culturally literate, like how do they engage with their society, with their text, with their with the Quran and the Hadith? Like, how would they recognize this is something? that doesn't necessarily need a rationale, I just do it because Allah obeyed me, versus this is something that, like, it has a rationale behind it, it might have applied in certain contexts, and that's why it's in this book of fifth, but it doesn't apply now, right? So, like, I, I get, like, the idealistic, kind of idealized situation where, like, you go to the person who knows, that's what we're kind of asked to do, but I wonder if the average Muslim really can do that, like, how do they navigate that? And, and that's why, as a strategy, Exactly, I agree. Like, in a, as a strategy, at least in North America, we have to make sure people have access to, like, mentorship, scholarship, mentorship. Um, I think even in the professional field, like, mentoring for young people is, like, really, really super important. Help people balance, like, expectations with reality. I think marriage, I think people need mentorship before they walk into marriages. That's why the Prophet in Medina, he has people, like, they hang out together. They're able to temper these expectations. You know, um, and that's a challenge. You know, when 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 the Harvard study comes out and says that, you know, the majority of ISIS followers have the literacy of less than Islam for dummies. Like, that's kind of worrying. And then there's another study that came out of Harvard that said, the more educated the Muslim is religiously, the less likely they are to fall for one of the two extremes, right? So we, we know the strategy, right? We just need to make sure... Um, accessibility, people feel safe. I think right now in America, people don't feel safe learning for obvious reasons. 
um, policies need to be in place, and there just needs to be like accountability with our teachers. Um, also, sometimes within, I like to use the word normative Islam instead of traditional Islam. I think traditionalism is kind of a loaded term because we have like traditions, you know, in Islam. We don't have like a tradition. Orthodox. Yeah, or normative maybe. Okay. Uh, compassionate orthodoxy. Okay. <laughs> it's like, whatever, man. You're the lawyer. But everybody knows what we're trying to say here. Mainstream Islam. Um, but I think it's unfortunate, like, some of the circles I was trained in, we were actually taught to, like, troll you guys. Like, we were taught to be, like, mean. It's like, people respect you. Like, if you're nice, people respect you. Like, people won't learn from you unless you're, like, a troll. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know how it's going to work. Like, how do you troll people and expect them to benefit from you? Um, so there also has to be, like, challenge in America as we scaffold the community, creating a way to even evaluate educators. Like, 85% of the people I've heard read Qur'an are not reading Mahafs. I'm sorry to say that. Like, they think they learn Tajweed, but they haven't, if you ask them, what's a Turuq? They have no idea what a Turuq is. If you don't know what a Turuq is, how are you reading Tajweed? Right? That, that, just that basic science, right, is not available to everybody. That's a problem. Forget Madhabs. We're so freaked out about fiqh and Madhabs. Listen, follow Madhab, don't follow Madhab, nobody cares. Hashtag ain't important. Just ask people who know. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. But then, like, as teachers, how do we evaluate our Islamic studies teachers, our Sunday school teachers, right? Our imams, uh, our youth and content providers. We don't have a curriculum even to, like, standardize things, right? So what you're asking is an outcome without there being a strategy to make it happen. My argument would be, um, instead of scholars, we need, like, Islamic studies teachers. By the droves. Right? Who can start at least people's initial education into religion as being normative, not traditional, and vice versa. We don't have it. Like at Converse, like as an e-converse, like really, really hard, and that becomes compounded more so because you don't have access to scholars because your family aren't Muslim. You know, like if you come from a Muslim family, someone, one of your uncles is a Maulana or some cousin. Like there's someone in the family who can link you probably to a learned person. That becomes compounded when you're a convert. They're like, we can take you to Sunday school, right? So I think that is difficult. And, and I think for those people, like, Allah will be merciful to them. Like, if you don't have access to a scholar, like, no one would expect you to be able to have that kind of literacy. Right? Allah is ghafur rahim. Allah is kareem. It's forgiving. So he said, Iyaka na'abudu, number one, is like our intellectual... Understand, we're, we're ordered to learn. We talked about this before. Secondly, our, our spiritual growth, right? Our tasqiyat to nafs, developing the inner capacity, right? Developing that inner light. That's extremely important. When the Prophet said, in the jasadi mudra, in the body there's a piece of flesh, it's whole, the whole body's whole, it's corrupted, the whole body's corrupted. It's the heart. There's a science of the heart. The, the worship of the heart is like fear, hope, forgiveness, forbearance, being benevolent to people, you know, um, and so on. And the third is the actions of the limbs. That's your fiqh. How do I use the limbs that Allah has blessed me with? Is it halal to do this? Haram to do this? All those three fall into ibadah. So he said, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُرُ 
In order to do that, we need help, so we ask Allah to help us. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that takes us to the next verse. Ihdina is an order, right? Like ijlis, uskut, yani jukkuro in Urdu, right? Ahdir, present. But whenever there's an order that's um, said by a person to God in the Quran, the feeling is dua, like supplication. Ihdina siratul mustaqim. It's interesting because. Um, we ask Allah for guidance. And here guidance means guidance in, in ibadah, those three categories of ibadah. Guide my mind, guide my heart, guide my limbs. And, and you know, this is very powerful because the feeling here is what's called maqam al-iftiqar, the station of poverty. Like when we're making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should feel like we have no power. So we say, As if I'm saying, like, I have no help, I need aun. And the word aun is different than nasr. Nasr means help existentially. Aun means to help you internally and externally. They say, You know, nastansir. That would mean only for like external issues in my life. My mom's going crazy, my kids are freaking out, whatever. I miss Stranger Things too, and my Netflix can't account expired. That's istinsar. But aun means the inner and outer. So help me with myself. That's why the Prophet say, La, don't leave me to myself, tarfata'inin, for the blinking of an eye. Like constantly guide me. So when I say, Nasta'in, that means like, I have the power to do nothing. I, I, I don't have control. Wallahu ala kulli shay'in qadir. Everything is under your control, so I seek that help. So when you say that, like if someone came to you like, I need you to help me with everything. That'd <laughs> be really awkward, man. Right? And then they were like, so help me. Like, how would they say that? So guide me. That's how you're going to say that. Right, like I need it. I need guidance to fulfill the responsibility of worship. The Prophet said, Dua said that prayer is the essence of worship. Supplication, dua. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there's something in the chapter that we miss. It's very hard to um, get the feeling across the English, like there should be a lot of semicolons in the translation to be honest with you. Because I, I want you to just remember this as we continue our engagement with the Quran. The word wow is to make you say wow. Just remember that. Wow, what, Yanni, is to make you say wow. So when we use wow in sentences, it's, it's, it's to show like, I got this. Like, I got this. For example. Right? So, I'm saying, well, like, I came home and I looked at my kids and it's like I did this and I did it perfectly. 
and I did this. That's what conjunctions do sometimes in Arabic. And I did it perfect. So I'm like compartmentalizing it. So when we say, for example, you know, that Allah, Allah talks about His servants, He says, you know, Allah. He says, you know, like they're good at being believers as though they did it all. That's the only thing they did. They're good at being Muslims. That's all they did. Well, that Karina Allah, and they're good at making thinkers look like they did it separately. Even though they did it together, it's like to show you they did it so awesome. It's like that's the only thing they focused on. When there's no wow, it's used to show either like intensity, like, you know, if you, you know, like, I don't want to use the example of marriage because it gets everybody in trouble. But like, if you're passionately trying to fix a problem, you did. So you'd be like, you know, Baby, I love you. I care for you. I'll do anything for you. I'll bring whatever you want, but without saying an and. Just listen to the Neo song. You understand exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? It's like, uh, just run on sentence for days. Right? Those run on sentences are used to show like passion. So look here. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Maliki, Yawmidin, Iyaka Na'bud, Wa Iyaka Nasta'in, Ehdinas. This feeling of run-on sentences happening. It doesn't say Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Wa Rahman Rahim, Wa Maliki Yawmidin, Wa Iyaka Na'budu. This is called Husna Al-Insal, like in rhetoric it's one of the hardest subjects. I know because I flunked it in Ezra High School. I had to take the testing. It was really super hard. Right, the magic of connecting and not connecting sentences. So when you get to Ehdina Sarat Mustaqim, you've been begging. That's the feeling. Or maybe you feel like Allah's been helping me. I'm just stoked. Like Ehdina, like keep it going. Right? Either or. But the point is, there should be a lot of emotion there. And that's why a good Qari knows rhetoric, Arabic rhetoric. You know, a good qadi is going to read it with you. He's going to be like, Edina Surata Mustaqim, Surata Aliyam Talayim. What? al And you feel the emotion of it. So when you get to this point, this is the point of, I have nothing, I have no power. Anta Rabbul Alameen, your Maliki, your Medin, your Rahman, your Rahim. Ehdini. I need guidance. Why do you think that's the first thing we ask for? Like, I asked my son, like, what would you ask for? He's like, getting paid. I'm like, dang, dude, like, who's your dad? It's like an indictment of me, man. Right? But seriously, like, we learned something here about priorities. Why not I, like, Avnini, like, make me rich? Zawijni, find me a spouse. Why Ehdina, guide us? Why would you start with guidance? Once a person came to Sayyidina Umar and he asked him, he said, man, you're a very smart person. Why do you, did you used to worship dates and stones? You were very intelligent. He said, my intelligence didn't have guidance. Without guidance, like, doesn't matter how talented I am, doesn't matter how much I have, doesn't matter my, uh, uh, the, the things I've acquired in life. If there's no guidance, there's no barakah. So you start with the foundations. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. The other thing is usually when you say ihdi, the noun that comes after it has ila. So guide me to. And to in Arabic means a nihaya, like to the end of something. Like reach, like I traveled ila al-Qahira. You know, I traveled to Cairo. That's the place where I'm going to stop. 
Here the Quran does something very interesting. He says, Ihdina sirat al-mustaqim. It doesn't say guide me to the straight path. It says guide me on the straight path would be the better translation. Why does it do that? As though you're already on it. You're not trying to get there. You're already there. So maybe like a person is like the, going through some serious challenges in their life. It happens, man. Like faith is a, is a battle. Submission, Islam, the word Islam means that there is a, there's something reciprocal happening. Like you're going to get something. It's not just like, Islam to lillah, mashallah, everything's gravy. Islam to lillah, man, I like that. Right, there's that challenge. So why would it be, ehdina sirat al-mustaqim? Not ehdina ila sirat al-mustaqim. Right? Allah says about the Prophet, You, Muhammad, guide people to that straight path. You direct them there. But when the believer is talking to God, Surah Fatiha, the Muslim is praying, and she says, he says, Al-Razi said the meaning is, Like, keep me on it. Why would it say that? It's just a question. I'll give you a hint. Prepositions in Arabic are used to restrict things. It makes it limited to a certain time, a certain place, a certain happening. But here it's saying, keep me on it. That implies a number of things. Yes, sir. So because you want to stay on it for the rest of your life. So if life. you stay on it, you're already where? If you want to stay on it, then you've already done what? Where are you? How many of you honestly feel like you're on Salat al-Mustaqim? Nobody. I have a problem with this, man. Beat the hell out of our community. You know, Muslim country be like, yeah, I feel so horrible. I, I fed like 14 orphans last week. I should have done 16. I'm such an evil person. The heck, man? Like, you 16 people? 14 people? You know, man, I pray all five prayers, but like I missed a hajjid. Life's over. Like that, a kind of destructive attitude. No doubt, like we need to push ourselves, right? We need to like motivate ourselves, but not to the point where you don't feel like you're lucky to be Muslim and blessed. You know what I'm trying to say here? So Allah says, فحدث, like, Be proud, not proud in an arrogance way, but like in it. Be thankful for the guidance and blessings you have. Allah says about being guided, like, let people be happy. Like, why are religious people some of the most unhappy people? Whereas, we should be worried about our real sins, but we should be thankful for our blessings. So when you say, that implies, number one, this is a process. Surat al-Mustaqim isn't a moment, it's not an event, it's not a place that you arrive. As soon as you said, La ilaha illallah, as soon as you try to do some good, you're on Surat al-Mustaqim. And in Surah Al-Fatir, we find that three types of people on Surah Al-Mustaqim. Surah Al-Mustaqim means, of course, like the right way. We'll talk about it in a minute. Allah says, ثُمَّ أَوْرَثْنَا الْكِتَابَ الَّذِينَ اصْطَفَيْنَا مِنْ عِبَادِنَا فَمِنْهُمْ ظَالِمٌ لِنَفْسِ وَمِنْهُمْ مُقَتَصِدْ وَمِنْهُمْ سَابِقٌ بِالْخَيَرَاتِ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ Allah says in Surah Al-Fatir that we, we passed on the book, right? The res- pr- pr- responsibility of prophethood. Right? Communities, prophetic communities. We, we inherited the book to them. Their inheritance are their prophet, prophet's teachings. 
when Sayyidina Abu Bakr, once he came into the markets in Medina and he said, yeah, uh, he said, oh people, the inheritance of the Prophet, Ya Allah, it's being distributed. Everybody got excited. They started running after Sayyidina Abu Bakr. He ran, uh, uh, Abu Huraira. He ran into the masjid and there were people studying and they said, where, where is the money? He said, this is the inheritance of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, right? This legacy of knowledge that should be practiced. So Allah describes what we've taken from our beloved messenger as inheritance. People fight over inheritance. Once when I was in Dar Iftah Masriya, no disrespect to my Egyptian friends, we had to call the police on the sisters, man. These sisters start throwing blows over inheritance. I saw a brother jump over the desk and grab the sheikh. Say, I want my thulus. I want my third. Right? I want a third of the money. <laughs> sheikh was like, what? I'm just a sheikh, man. <laughs> I'm not taking any of the money from you, dude. <laughs> but the point is, like, people fight over inheritance. Inheritance is something people value. And then secondly... The Prophet said, Allah says that this inheritance has been left to three types of people. And Allah calls them ibadi, my servants, those who worship me. He said, number one, zalimuli nafsi, sinners. He didn't just say like, this is a special club for the ultra super religious people, alhamdulillah, everybody else can get out. Uh, he says it very clearly, zalimuli nafsi. Some of these people, they got issues. Some of these people got more skeletons than the Smithsonian. Some of these people got challenges, but they're still ibadi. Still my servants. Then he said, Women whom muqattasid. Then there's some there in the middle. They got good, they got the bad, and they got the ugly. Then he said, Women whom sabiquna bil khayrati bi ithnillah. And then there are those who are like really, really into doing good, like they're doing a great job. But he mentions three types of people. These three groups fall on Salat Mustaqim. Whoever says, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, and tries, and everybody tries in different places in their life, right? Maybe Fajr for someone is like five prayers to someone else, just because of where they are in life. You know, I had a sister once um, come into a mosque who had been physically abused. And I was sitting outside. And the sheikh, he asked her, like, how are your prayers? She's like, how are my prayers, man? I got no teeth. Like, how the hell am I supposed to pray with no teeth? Like, my mind ain't on prayer. And then the sheikh said, you know what? For you, like, right now, prayer is like healing. Like, let's make sure we can, like, make sure that you get the legal support you need to handle the situation and then the clinical support you need to come out of being in an abusive relationship. Like, and he said, like, Tilka salat. He told me, that's like her prayer right now. Just like healing, getting to a place where she can get back to that situation. So people are different. Of course, ideally, we should all be doing the five prayers, we all be holding it down, but we got issues sometimes. Huh? So sometimes people are struggling. Her situation, she's not zalimul nafsi, she's mazloom. She's been wronged. But others, we may wrong ourselves. But still, Allah calls us His servants. Still inspires us to be responsible. When Sayyidah Aisha, used to uh, teach this verse to people, man, look how humble she was. She would say, She used to read it. She'd say, then, you know, we, we inherited the books to our servants, and amongst them are sinners. And she'd say, like me. 
Then she'd read the rest of the verse. Right? So, people that are struggling. They're on Salat Mustaqim, alhamdulillah. Maybe a different level, maybe a different pace, maybe a different era, area, but they're on Salat Mustaqim. Rahmatullahi wasi'ah. Allah's Rahmah is huge. That's the person that's struggling, like legitimately, you know what, I'm going to try to get better, I'm going to try to do what I got to do. I still slip. Still make mistakes, but they're good, is more than they're evil. All those three groups are on Salat Mustaqim, according to the Quran. The other thing is very awesome is we say, It reminds us of this process, but the word Sirat means something straight. Mustaqim means something straight. This is a form of, of embellishment in Arabic by using two synonyms. So it's like, guide me to the super straight path. But it's interesting, Mustaqim is from what word in Arabic? Hmm? Don't be shy, there's no wrong answer. You know, somebody says something. Hmm? Qiyam. Good. MashaAllah, man. Good answer. Qawama. Qawam yuqim. This word. What does Qiyam mean? Hmm? To stand. Like, why would you ask Allah to guide you to a straight path? But the inferred meaning is like, yo, let me stand. Take me to a place where I can stand. Right? That's something that's lost. Mustaqim means like straight, no doubt, but atlubal sabab qiyami. It's the same form as nasta'in. Mustaqim nasta'in istaf'ala, which means to seek something. Ehdina sirat al mustaqim. Help me stand. Guide me to the path that's going to like empower me. Give me that strength, right, to be upright. That's why I translate upright. Actually, it's like the little translator is to be upright. Like, why would we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to help us stand and to stand upright against our souls, against our sins, against our evil? Aqamani, ya Rabbi. Give me that place. Imam ibn Ta'ala said, Fama aqamaka rabbuk. Like, Wherever your Lord caused you to stand, like you, you gotta roll with that. Like discover why He did that. We talk about this every Thursday with our uh, students and coffee and conversation. We go through the hikam. But ehdina sirat al mustaqim, guide me to the path that's gonna allow me to stand and stand in the right way. It's very powerful. Now maybe you understand why do you start salah with what? Standing. To remind you, like, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to take responsibility. And you've conquered something when you pray. You've conquered your nafs. You're able to turn out everything else and hear, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. You're able to focus. It's not easy to focus. Like Kendrick said, everybody ADD, right? ADHD now. That's just how it is. So in that moment, Aqamak Allah. Allah caused you to stand. So you're saying, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide me to the straight path that's going to cause me to stand, to be upright. Spiritually, against evil, against injustice, against bad habits. Right? In my worship, not to be lazy, 
stand for what's right. In society, Allah says, watch, it happens all the time in Quran. Allah says, stand for justice. Right? Be in a constant state of standing for justice. The same word. When he talks about prayer, so that tells us about some of the ingredients we need to be on Surat Mustaqim. Number one, we need to know. We need to know what it is. Find us all throughout the Quran, generally and specifically. Number two is something that people don't talk about. You gotta have some swagger, man. You have some bravery. Like, I remember <laughs> when when I was converting, I was pledging Alpha Phi Alpha. I don't know if you know Alpha Phi Alpha. Right? It's a black fraternity. Amazing people. Still ask me to ride in the pledge. Just haven't had a chance to. 1906, walk the burning sands. When Rodney King happened, I was like, I'm not going to be the white boy pledging a black fraternity the year of Rodney freaking King. Because they're going to take it out on me. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait till next year, guys. <laughs> and they are like, no, man, come on in. <laughs> I was like, I'm good, right? I found Islam, right? But still, there's Muslim brothers who are, mashallah, alphas. My brother Bashir Jones running for city councilman in Cleveland. It looks like he may win, make the offer him this November. is an alpha. But I remember right when I was about to take my shahada, I was like, I'm going to lose all my friends. Like, it hit me. Like, if I become a Muslim, ain't no more smoking weed, ain't more trap houses. Ain't no more getting drunk, ain't no more DJing, ain't no more pleasuring, ain't no more playing ball. I didn't, know, I didn't know, right? Ain't no more eating pork, ain't no more girls. I'm like, I only got my mom and dad and playing video games. <laughs> like, that's all that's left. And even video games, half of them, I can't play anymore. And I remember just being, like, scared. And then I started seeing Jesus, like, the white Jesus. That's not really Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus. And he was saying, like, I had this dream. He was like, how could you do this? How could you turn your back on me? And I woke up. I was like, oh, I'm Jesus. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right? So there's this, like, initial stage of, like, having to stand to be brave, right? But if you don't have knowledge, you can't stand. Right? If you don't have some foundational information, it's hard to really sincerely stand. So where's the information you have for you Nah, it's, it's online, you can see the story, but it's like my best friend was Muslim in high school. So, in the process of smoking copious amounts of marijuana, he was able to give me all kinds of amazing tafsir. <laughs> all kinds of cool Sufi euphemisms. You know, what better place than listening to Dr. Dre and hearing him explain Sufi euphemisms. Um, but my best friend in, in high school, uh, in college, was a Muslim guy. So he, he was the one who... But there was this initial need to, like, stand. Yeah, be brave. And, and, and that's a challenge now. Yes, sir. Sorry if this is personal, but did you ever think about reverting? No. I was good, man. I mean, I, I, I don't fault people that do that. It's normal, but I just... I was lucky. Like, I converted in the Pakistani community, so I got really fat. And, like, they fed me really well. You know what I'm saying? Like, we hung out. You know, all these brothers from Karachi. And, like, we watched, like, Mon, you know, uh, Brenda's favorite movie. And uh, Amar Khan, the girl who loses her legs. Um... So like, I had an awesome, like, really, like, I had a great supporting community. It was a very small, it was like this kind of community. It was like this kind of community, it was like half of this room in Oklahoma. 
So it was just like a very simple like auntie uncle community, and it wasn't complex. Yeah. Yeah. The reason why I was asking was because one of the questions I always ask myself, and they talked to my mom about it, was like, if I was part of the Prophet Salazar's community, would I have been somebody that went against what my parents and everyone was doing to sort of follow? And so, like, what causes that? But honestly, like, most converts, like, we don't just, like, go off on our parents, like, freak out and, like, lose our minds. And, like, it's a lot more, like, I think sometimes some of the stories of the Sahaba that we hear are the romantic, romantic stories that are true, but they're just, like, Satan Omar went this way, Shaitan went that way. But with me, it was, like, Shaitan went that way, Suhaib went this way. <laughs> like, and then slowly Suhaib tries to, like, come this way, right? Like... So most of the story of the Sahaba, like Abu Huraira, right? His mother, like, abused him, man. Um, but he stayed with her. He put up with her abuse. He was patient. He served her. Like, it took, it was a process. Most of the, the Sahaba become Muslim were, like, processes. Either they were really hard, really amazing, but a lot of them were, like, in the middle, just like, I'm Muslim. We're not, like, Abu Bakr's parents. Like, I'm Muslim. Okay, fine. We don't agree with you, but you're Muslim. So, like, my conversion... Initially, yeah, there was some interesting moments, to say the least. But then over time, it wasn't like this constant battle. Like, we should encourage converts, and even people, like, sometimes their parents aren't practicing, man. Like, don't, like, go at it with your family. Try to avoid, you know, that as much as possible. You got a hand up, bro? Uh, when did you convert, William? 92, before most of you were born. <laughs> before what? Before most of you were born, right? So you, you were in a Pakistani community in 1992 you converted? Yeah. That's when they won the World Cup? <laughs> they did. I have no idea. Uh, I learned about the, you know, People's Party and uh, MQM. I didn't know about the World Cup. Yeah, how bad. So, alhamdulillah, where were we? <laughs> so, we say, Ehdina salatu mustaqim. The second quality is like bravery. You know, it requires bravery, but bravery with strategy. Mutanabi is an awesome poet. He said, "Al-Ra'yu qabr al-Shaja'a Shaja'ani, he al-Awal, who al-Awal, he al-Mahalu al-Thani." He said, "You know, you got to be smart. If you're smart before you're brave, that's two braveries, right? Hey, you got to think first, and then the action happens, right? So bravery, but not just like with impunity, but there has to be a sense of like standing up. The third is to be patient." It's a long road, man. The fourth is don't expect utopian um, outcomes. Perfection is not defined by Islam as a goal. Effort is defined as a goal. Allah says, Like you get what you work for. Right? The outcome is left to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we say, Asking Allah to guide us to a place where we can stand properly. We can stand with people who are the victims of injustice. We can stand with people who may be not able to stand for themselves. We can reciprocate that goodness. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala defines Salat al-Mustaqim. And I mentioned to you there's another qira'ah, Khalaf, an al-Kisai, Zirat al-Mustaqim. There's another qira'ah without Alif and M. Ehdina, Sirat al-Mustaqim, Mudaf, Mudaf, the possessive. Right? The meaning doesn't change. Ehdina as-sirat al-mustaqim. Ehdina sirat al-mustaqim. 
One day we can teach people. Inshallah, this December we're going to teach you one riwayat of Hafs with Ijazah in a seminar here that I heard from my teacher in Egypt. My love is Qiraat in Arabic, but they told me white people in America ain't about to learn no Qiraat, no Arabic. So they sent me to Kulit to Sharia. I was like, white people in America are not trying to learn Sharia, man. <laughs> you know what's going on, bro. <laughs> but, اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم There should be a comma after mustaqim. Mainly, or this is what we mean, صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم The path of those who you favored. Most scholars said those who Allah favored are those who know and practice what they know. Like that's what Imam Ibn Qayyim wrote. Imam al-Harari who knows and does their best. It's impossible to practice everything we know, of course, but they do their best to practice what they know. Like that's a quality that can help us not only in our religious life, but it's a quality that can help us in many things. In our family situations, work, school, studies, discipline. غَيْرُ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرَ سِرَاطِ الْمَغْضُوبِ other than the way of those who earned maghdubi is the passive participle. So the meaning is those who earn somebody's anger. It doesn't say Allah's anger, it's inferred. Sometimes the passive tense is used in Arabic, uh, the passive participle, sorry, is used in Arabic to show either praise or shame or awe or fear. So, for example, when Allah talks about shaitan, sometimes someone beautified for people, shaitan. Someone created people. So the first is meant to like not even mention his name. The second is to be like so awesome. I don't want to say it. So here, سرّات الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم غير سرّات المغضوب عليهم. Not the path of those who earn someone's anger. We talked about the reason for this. We talked about the adab al-qada and qadr. And al-maghdubi, most ulama, they said, are those who know and purposely, intentionally don't practice. Waradalin. This is madlazim. Sitta harakat means sitta hamzas. Adalin are those who don't care about learning and they just want to act. There's levels of this. It's possible that we in our daily lives could have some of the qualities of anamta alayhim, we may have some of the qualities of maqdubi alayhim, we may have some of the qualities of adali. Whenever we repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's for one of those two qualities. In our lives. As we finish, inshallah, mashallah, we finish Shalta Fatiha. Mubarak, alhamdulillah. Egyptians don't like to say Mubarak. But Mabruk means a camel that's sitting. But don't say to someone they get married, Mabruk means a camel. Right? Say Mubarak. Mabruk is a camel that sits in Fusha. Right? It's just like a habit of people to say Mabruk. But Mubarak, you know, 1,000 blessings, inshallah. Huh? We said that when we say, Iyaka na'budu, that means knowledge. 
So in our knowledge, we can be from those Allah favored, those maqdubi alayhim, those adalim, and it may just be a mix in our lives. It's going to happen. That's why we make tawbah. And knowledge is really important. That's why Iblis, the first attack on our parents was with knowledge in, con in, in conception. In fact, most scholars say the first example of peer pressure in history is Iblis. When Iblis says to our parents, Inni lakuma lamin al-nasihin. He didn't say, Ana lakum nasihun. He didn't say, Satan didn't say, I'm one sincere advisor. He said, it's a lot of us, but I'm the one who told you. Nasihin. First example of peer pressure. The second, false advertisement. Waqasimahuma. He said, I swear to God, eat from the tree. Peer pressure, false advertisement. Why? To motivate people's thinking. It's important to think about what happens now with like the construction of beauty, construction of value, construction of race. These constructions around us, how are they impacting us negatively? Or Positively. And we said in the heart, What is the science of the heart that's needed to like work on my soul? Al-Ihsan. Thursdays when we finish theology, we'll talk about that. We'll read from a book called Al-Kharida. Tomorrow we'll read it in tandem, tandem, second part. And the third we said in our actions, is this halal, haram? Right. Am I allowed to do this? It may be great, a great area, but maybe I need to do it. Is it okay? That's also iyakanabu. And they said when we repent from that, it's because we fell in the path of those who know and intentionally don't act. Right? Not someone who forgets, not someone under duress, not someone who that's different. Or those who intentionally don't want to know and intentionally don't act. So as we summarize Sulta Fatiha, Allahu Akbar, we finished guys. And girls, young men, young women. I'm not saying aunties and uncles. We said that Surah Fatiha opens Bismillah Rahman Rahim, promising us the potential of relationship with Allah. And it puts the onus on us. That's why it's B. I begin B. I start B. We said that Ism of Allah means all of the names of Allah, and the most important two that. That's why I said it'd be like a, a colon after Bismillahi, bi asma'ilahi, ar rahman ar rahim. Right? Like I start, I begin with the names of Allah, namely the most gracious, the most merciful. Something I didn't tell you about ar rahman ar rahim. Ar rahman means in his essence. So, like in my relationship with him, if I know I screw up, he's Rahman. Ar rahim is the one who deals with my actions in life. So what's happening in my qada and my qadr, I remember Allah's Rahim. So they say that Rahman is a sifat al that. It's his essence, his Rahmah. Rahim in the qada that he gives you in the qadr, there's mercy in it, you gotta find it. So one deals with my conceptual, conceptualization of God, like I screwed up, I made big mistakes, but he's Rahman, I can go back to him inshallah. Number two deals with outcomes in my life, and challenges I face sometimes because, you know, theodicy can be a pain. But I remember, uh, like the believer, Allah is merciful to them. Then we talked about praising Him, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, Ar Rahman, Rahim. We mentioned that. And then we mentioned Maliki, Medina hereafter, and Iyaka Na'bul, Wa Iyaka The types of worship and how 
the first chapter, the part of the chapter starts with knowing God, like Allah is this, Allah is that, Allah is this. Now you worship Him because you know who He is, and then you ask Him for guidance, ask Him for consistency on the path. I have to see value in the path to ask to stay down on it. Stand me. Make me upright. Those who know and practice as best they can. Because no one can do everything. That's why the Prophet said, What I told you, what I commanded you, do as best as you can. He didn't say, do everything. Not the path of those who know and purposely don't act or hide the truth. Those who fail to learn, don't want to learn, and have gone astray. So alhamdulillah, next week, inshallah, we'll start Surah Al-Hujurat, uh, the 49th chapter, and then after that, Surah Al-Jin.